9 out of 10 startups fail. Women and minority-led companies receive less than 10% of all venture capital. This is an environment designed for failure. Startup Hype Man's mission is to use the power of story to make success inevitable, not the exception. And this podcast is designed for entrepreneurs to share lessons learned from their stories so that you can figure out what whatever it takes means for your company to make it. Let's kick it. You know, introduce you in a way. It just came to me like five minutes ago. From the Hype HQ recording studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I am your host and the Startup Hype Man, Raj Nation. Every week we bring you real talk and unpack the behind the curtain strategies with the entrepreneurs who are doing it or who have been there, done that, all to help your startup grow up and stand out. Join the Hype Nation to catch every new episode, plus get resources and other stuff that actually help you, not the whack promotional junk that other companies try to shove down your throat. All you have to do is add your email at startuphypeman.com. Ready for some real talk? Time now for me, Raj Nation, to turn it over to, well, me, Raj Nation, for this week's conversation. And making her way to the microphone, residing in North Saanich, British Columbia, Canada, from Karachi, Pakistan, Humaira Ahmed. That's awesome. Humaira Ahmed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so for everyone listening, Humaira is the founder and CEO of a digital app, a digital platform called Locale, which is a networking platform for women in business, offering safer and easier ways to meet like-minded women locally. Humaira's mission is to get women offline for real connections for a better life. Locale is in pre-revenue mode, currently with 600 beta users, planning to monetize later this year. Humaira, I hope I did your introduction justice. You did, except <laughs> my name. It's Humaira. Oh, crap. Damn. That's okay. Oh, man, I got so excited it's doing that. version. <laughs> I got so excited doing that introduction. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let, me, let me redo it. So this will all stay on the recording. Let me redo it. Awesome. And making her way to the <laughs> microphone, residing in North Saanich, British Columbia, Canada, from Karachi, Pakistan, Humaira Ahmed. That's awesome. Okay, now we can start the show. So, okay, let's do it. Uh, Humaira, our conversation today, our topic is how do you conduct worthwhile user research? Just off the bat, can you give an abstract here? Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? Yeah, I mean, it's really important because as startup founders, we can get really carried away with our um, you know, passion and uh, at the end of the day, wanting to create a real business and a real business only happens when you have real people um, and you're fulfilling a real need in the marketplace um, and user research is key to that. So yeah, I mean, you're putting so much on the line, many sacrifices being made, you know, a lot of money, time, energy, effort goes into it. Um, so it's important to make sure that the, whatever it is that you're starting a business will be used by people. And we are going to dive so much further into this. It'll be a great conversation. Before we get into all that, let's learn a little bit more about you. So I mentioned in your ring announcer-esque uh, introduction there that you came from Karachi, Pakistan. You actually uh, attended Karachi University and have a bachelor's degree in software engineering. 
Can you kind of just talk to us? I think, I think everyone has certain perceptions about Pakistan. Um, yeah. Maybe they're accurate, maybe they're inaccurate. But can you talk to me about, you know, what's it like growing up there and, and is getting a bachelor's in software engineering a big deal? Yeah, good question. Wow. Um, so I grew up um, in Karachi, Pakistan, and you know, just growing up, I just remember one thing um, throughout my my childhood years was I always wanted to be a boy, because um, as a girl, you're always told, you know, who to be, what you could do, what you couldn't do, with the more emphasis on what you couldn't do, um, and so I just always, you know, looked at my brothers like they just had it all. And I wanted it all too. Um, I used to play cricket and I knew that that was going to be taken away from me when I turned 13 because girls don't play cricket. And so a lot of it was just like, you know, holding girls back. And so, uh, so there's that. But on the flip side, it was also that if you don't want to be um, a housewife, you know, for as a profession, I guess, and if you really want to do something in life, then you can only do so many things. It could be, you could be a software engineer, well, not software engineer, but an engineer, lawyer, doctor, scientist. Um, and those would be the only professions suited or respectful, you know, respectable professions for uh, girls and women. And so um, I didn't really have much of a choice. I couldn't get into the media or anything else apart from those professions. And so I was good at math. Um, and uh, I, you know, so, uh, computer science especially was, you know, just such a hot uh, topic at the time and subject. So I, I was doing really well in that. Like even in our grade 10 um, computer science courses, like I had like 97 percentile and it was amazing. So I just knew that this is something that kind of comes to me and I can do this. So uh, that's why I got into software engineering. But a little bit about that, actually, I'll just say that I was engaged when I was 15 and 17 to men I didn't know. Hmm. And it's it, at the time, this is now, I'm 34 now, so this is a long time ago, like, gosh, 19 years ago. Um, so I, you know, there, they just want you to um, be married as a, as a girl, as a woman. Uh, and the younger you that's get married, the, goal, the better. Right? That's the goal. Uh, that, you know, the better suitors you're going to get. Um, and so when I was 15, um, I just finished my grade 10. Um, and yeah, so I was engaged and I just remember it, it was just a shock to me because at 15, you're still a child. I remember thinking every night I would cry and beg to my parents to not do this because I wanted to do so much with my life. I just never again, like wanted to be a boy because I never conformed to what girls, you know, should be like. Um, and, uh, yeah, so just crying every night, just thinking, oh gosh, just God, just give me one chance to escape this. If I do, I will do amazing things with my life. And, and I, I mean, fortunately for me, I was able to escape those. And that's another story. We're not going to get into that. Um, but it happened with me twice, 15 and 17. And so I made a deal with my dad. My dad said, if you can get into the best school, which was Karachi University, um, for, you know, an engineering program, we will leave you aside. You know, we won't worry about your marriage sure. until you graduate. And so that was my motivation, primary motivation to get into that school. Um, yeah, so I got into it and that was that. Was that. And I did two years of that actually in, in Karachi. That's quite a, I mean, fascinating. It doesn't even begin to describe that story. Mm -hmm. uh, you've obviously overcome a lot. Now, my next question here kind of digs into that a little bit more. So, you know, coming from that, 
a let's call it a very traditional background, right? Mm -hmm. And the listeners can't see this, but I can see you through the video, right? Like you don't wear a hijab, you you mm -hmm. have blonde hair. Has yeah. that been? I I guess if you think about your upbringing and your dynamic, was that a difficult transition to make, or have you always been like this? Good question. Wow. I haven't really thought of it that way. So um, I didn't really wear hijab in Karachi growing up. And a lot of actually, that's one of the stereotypes about, you know, Karachi especially, and I, I can only speak for Karachi. Um, it's very modernized. Mm. I mean, there are parts of Karachi where you can go. So it's a very like class system, caste system, um, and also just, you know, levels of, you know, westernized, um, I guess, societies within Karachi. And um, so I never wore hijab. I come from, you know, like a middle class family, but more like upper middle class family in Karachi. Um, and so, you know, we always grew up with like, you know, maids and it was, it was a good, good lifestyle. Um, but, and we were never, we never really wore hijab. So, um, so that was never a big deal for me. Um, but the blonde hair, it's, it's actually interesting. You know, I, Again, I grew up watching a lot of Bollywood, Hollywood movies. So, um, and I did have my own kind of idea of who I wanted to be. And blonde hair is just more like, I just, I tried it. I thought it looked good. My <laughs> husband loves it. And it's now kind of become a bit of like a, a brand with locale. Like people recognize me. From the my locale, hair. Yeah, the locale. It's the locale yeah. hair. Um, <laughs> and so now I actually have a hard time going back because um, I look very different with dark hair. Sure. Um, but overall, like I have always been very, um, I can adapt very quickly. Um, and um, yeah, I remember actually on that note when we moved to Canada, um, I was 20. Um, and uh, I remember I noticed that there was a little bit of a, what do you call it? Not racism. But definitely, I don't even know if it's discrimination, but it's, you know, just if you speak in a certain accent, you know, it's like, oh, you're a fob or like, you know, mm. you're, you know, you're from Pakistan. And at the time, I mean, it's, it's singling the, out in some fashion. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also just that, you know, especially coming from Pakistan because of the preconceived notions and stereotypes about Pakistan, you don't want to be known as Pakistani. And that's just a sad reality, although now I'm very proud because I'm breaking stereotypes. But at the time, it was like, I don't want to be called out as like this Pakistani girl. Mm -hmm. And so I, I started to actually speak. I knew English. We grew up, you know, um, we always went to English medium school. So I knew English as a language, like really well, actually. Um, but I started to pick up um, on the accent. And so now when I meet with people, they go, oh, my gosh, like you speak English. I'm like, Where did you learn it? It's like, well, I knew English. <laughs> I just, you know, like question. learned. Uh, yeah, like, when I get it every single time, and it's because I don't look like traditional Pakistani. Like my looks are not yeah. like a traditional, a stereotypical Pakistani uh, woman. So, yeah, but a lot of it was also I never because I've been through so much in my life. I I did not want to be singled out, like you said, or um, be discriminated against. You know for any reasons whatsoever. So hair came later, it was just recent, but in terms of my accent, I started to learn really fast. And actually my brothers were making fun of me. I remember, you know, saying water. And in, in Pakistan, it's, it's I don't even know how to say it now. It's, is water. it water? And so I remember saying it's water. Soft and, R, right? Water. Yeah, or totally. Like and my brothers were like, ha ha ha. Like, you know, they just <laughs> made fun of me because they're like, wanna be. And but I knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to be respected or known or recognized for who I am as a person, 
and not be judged based on what I look like, you know, what I'm wearing and how I speak. And so that was important to me, but everybody's different. Yeah. And I mean, I can tell from listening to you, you said a boot a couple different times. That's nothing's more Canadian than saying yeah. a boot. Oh, that, a boot. Is that like a boat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't even know. I, yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, you come to Canada to finish your, or to get a second bachelor's rather uh, in 2006. You're that you're so, and you go to York University. Mm-hmm. And then 2011, you found Spice Marketing, which is on-demand creative services for startups and small, medium-sized businesses. How does the software engineer degree turn into owner of a marketing firm? Yeah, so I actually, so we moved um, to Canada. My family moved, so we just like, you know, migrated. And I didn't have a choice in that. So when I moved, it was interesting because I enrolled in double majors, um, communication studies and computer science um, at York University. And only because I knew that in Canada, I was told that I could I could do pursue other professions as well. And I didn't I wasn't sure if computer science was always going to be for me. Mm. Um, And so luckily for me, my first job in Canada was at a database company, was an IT company. And um, it was more like data entry type of thing. But I got to see a lot of uh, engineers and how they were. And it was very stereotypical. You know, they wouldn't talk to many people. They were just like in their own like offices or cubicles. And I was like, this is not the life I want to live in Canada. Like I just cannot be like this. And so that was my reason for um, enrolling in double majors and getting into communication studies as well. And I just fell in love with that program because now I was like, I can actually express myself. And like, hopefully you can tell, like I'm very you know expressive. And I just thought, just also to learn and adapt to the culture in Canada, I would need to, like communication is a good way to mm. be able to learn all that. And so um, that was my reasoning for taking com- uh, communication studies. But also actually, I only did uh, computer science in Toronto at York for, for eight months. So in total, I've done like roughly around three years of software engineering. But what happened was, so this is an interesting story. In Karachi, we were about 40% women. Mm in our program and shocking well it's 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 the norm there you know because if you like are I just said you have to pick out of one of those if you are exactly going. and women are they're really good at i mean you know they pursue those degrees in you know stem field actually in in us and canada as well like 60 percent of the women uh, hold degrees in stem which is amazing but what was interesting was I was because I already had uh, over two years of my of my credits from Karachi. They were all transferred, um, and I was basically in third year. So by that time, a lot of the women have already dropped out. So when I joined the program at York, the classes that I had taken, I was the only woman in a class of like 160. Hmm. It was intimidating. It was a shock because here I'm thinking this is a progressive country. You know, it should be better than Karachi or Pakistan in general. And it wasn't in terms of the academics. So, sure. so that was like, wow, like what's going on? And so, but you can only do so much, right? It's like a different culture. You're in a different place and different people. And it was intimidating. So I could only continue it for eight months. And then I was like, you know what? I'm actually enjoying communication studies so much. I just want to do this. And so, so I actually finished um, my degree in communication studies, specialized honors. Um, I still graduated with their computer science kind of department. 
but that's what I kind of focused on. Um, so having that background, and I knew I didn't want to be a computer scientist. I just knew I wanted to do something related to communications, marketing, media, uh, and I got an internship at York doing marketing, and I just loved it. I was like, wow, like this is amazing. I enjoyed this more. And the reason for Spice Marketing is also because I was I already in Toronto. I, I you know had worked for a few years in marketing and sales, and I just loved that aspect of work. So I knew I wanted to do something around that. But what I also learned was what I had was so unique, like a combination of you know just understanding how you know the software lifecycle, the product roadmap. I knew that I would be a better fit doing marketing and communications for tech companies. It just kind of seemed like a no brainer, and I just learned that over time. So when I moved to Victoria, I was through my husband. Uh, he's from here. We, you know, we got married. We moved. Um, I moved here, and I there were no jobs in marketing in Victoria area. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Do your own thing. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And luckily for me, I just had to do one pro bono project, and that led to a lot of the good work. So that's kind of what I did. And um, on demand, and that that's kind of how we're. You know, it was just good because then I could also choose my own projects. Like if I didn't want to work with somebody or at a certain company with a certain company, I just could say, oh, too busy, you know? Sure. Um, and yeah, so it just kind of make, made sense. To me to awesome. So around the end of 2017 is when Locale comes about. Again, it's the networking platform for women to offer safer and easier ways to meet other like-minded women in their area. So... I'm going to imagine that the genesis of this came from some personal experience you had. Could you just give like the 30 second background of how this came about? Sure. So it was basically around social isolation for me. Uh, I've moved around a lot. I come from a different, you know, background and in Victoria, I've lived for seven years. So I thought, you know, I had kind of my tribe, but after I had my second daughter, so I have two kids. Um, and my second daughter, she was born, I just sort of feel really isolated. I'm not a typical, you know, stay at home mom. Um, but I, I'm ambitious, wanted to get back into the workforce. And it, it was a lot for me to deal with. And the fact that I didn't have a lot of similar, you know, like minded women around me who could push me forward, or just even I could share my challenges with, that was really isolating. And isolation is a big problem we face. Um, we spend so much time online, and I wanted to really connect uh, with women in person who live close to me and share similar interests, um, professional and personal, uh, to just get offline, right? And I wanted that for me. And then I realized it wasn't just my problem. So yeah. that's why I found a locale. So let's transition now to our, and talk about our topic question for today, which is about conducting worthwhile user research. Tell me why it would have been a bad idea to say, well, I'm experiencing this. I've I know the isolation. I just need to build it for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it would be really bad because you I, you know you can you can solve your own problems by being super proactive and um, you know can find other solutions. The the, the, the biggest thing that everybody should look at um, before starting any project or venture is is the market big enough because. The roller coaster that the startup life is, it's not easy. It's not for everyone. You don't only need to be passionate about the mission and the vision and solve your own needs, but know that this is actually a business. And a business will only uh, be formed when there's a real problem, there's a real market, and you can find that problem market fit as well as product market fit. 
um, because like I said, so much goes into it. You know, um, a lot of sacrifices are made um, and it'll always be, you know, there's tons of ups and downs. And so, um, yeah, you, you know, I can't just you know, spend hours and hours just trying to solve my problem. And this time I could have gone and, you know, made actually some connections and be done with it. Yeah. But I like what you yeah. said here. You said there's problem market fit and product market fit. And I think everyone's, at least everyone listening is familiar with product market fit, but talk to yeah. me more about the concept of problem market fit. Yeah, so problem market fit um, from, again, my experiences in, um, in being in, you know, a startup is, is there a real problem? What problem am I solving? And, and that's kind of like the basis of our company. We're not selling you know, a payment processing solution. We're solving an emotional pain point. We're, you know, it's like a social impact company. We're, we're looking to tackle social isolation and loneliness. And this is a big problem. So that's where it's like, it's a worldly problem that the world faces. There's every day you'll find some kind of articles around this topic of how we're becoming a lonelier society. We're becoming isolated. That leads to other health problems, depression, and death. And that's actually worse than having diabetes or heart diseases. So, and the fact that I felt this, it's, it's a problem, right? Like, it's a problem in our society and how do we address it? So that's where it's like, it's a problem. It's a need that people have um, and something needs to be done about that. So that's a problem market. You know, it's a problem with a, whole, a lot bigger market. So that's where sure. the problem market thing is. Now, the product market is more like, can you build something that, that will, use. yeah, that people will use that will solve that problem. Right, right. Okay, I, I like how you, you broke that down. So talk through for Locale mm -hmm. how you went about finding that problem that ex existed beyond you. And, and obviously there's like articles, right? But mm -hmm. I don't think it's enough to just say, I have a problem and articles corroborate it. There had to be some type of field research. Oh, yeah. You'll find anything on Google. Right. I mean, <laughs> you can <laughs> find anything to validate whatever Especially if you go to those alternative news sites, you can find oh, totally. any story Absolutely. that fits the you want. Absolutely. So what I, uh, so it's interesting because I think a marketing that, having that marketing background really helps. Uh, so what I did was, I remember I just couldn't shake it off. Like, I've had many ideas over the years, but this was the one, one idea that I was like, okay, I have this problem. It's so bad that I just want to solve it. But I also wanted to see, I can solve it for myself. I know it'll be hard, but I'll do it. Um, but I wanted to see if others had it. So I talked to some of my friends, for, you know, first and foremost. Like, hey, like, you know, there's an increasing disconnect in our relationship, um, you know, for various reasons, right? Like different life stages do you feel the same way? And they would say, well, yeah, it's awkward, but yeah, like it's true. And then I started to talk to other women, you know, uh, around me, um, you know, my friends networks and my other professional networks as well. Like, Hey, like, how do you feel about this? Like, do you find that it's really hard as we transition from one stage of life to another? Uh, you have a hard time connecting with like-minded women. And the answer was, yeah, like, you know, whether you have a baby, whether it's illness, whether it's, uh, it's travel or moving to a new place or moving into a new sector, you know, there's so much happens that we lose our connections. And so, and then of course there's research, but the one thing that I did about the marketing that I mentioned was I set up a landing page because I already was working so much. I have two little kids. 
you know, I didn't have enough time to just kind of just waste, right? So what I did was I set up a landing page uh, for locale and I wanted to see if it would get any traction because if it got traction, then I would know like, I, okay, I need to now pursue it more uh, seriously. And so I set up a landing page around end of November um, and within like two months, I had over 100 signups to a newsletter that didn't even exist. And so that was kind of like a user research uh, in sure. its own way, customer discovery, right? Like this was, this is, okay, people want this. Well, within that, I, I, you know, I could, I could create locale.com, but no one's going to know it exists, right? So mm -hmm. how, did people, how did people find the landing page? I just put it out there on my social media. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, you know, I, at the time, actually, LinkedIn is interesting now for me because this is uh, November 2017, and I had about 580 connections on LinkedIn. Now, actually, I have over 2,500, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. But um, so, so just putting it out through my Twitter, uh, mostly, I would say, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn um, and Instagram. So I started to see some traction, like, okay, what's this? And at the time, to be honest, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. I just knew that I was feeling lonely, and I wanted an easier way to connect with like-minded people. Actually, it was people. So that's what, you know, it started as like people. So I had, you know, like interest from men and women, but it was mostly women. So this is interesting about the user research because even just through that, I realized that it was mostly women that were um, interested in what I might have to offer. So, so that was kind of like my first kind of uh, take on user research, customer discovery learning who's actually you know interested in this and there were some men too for sure but it i would say it was like maybe yeah, but like if it's 97 out of totally if 97 women out of exactly. 100 right that's, that's an totally. mm -hmm. so when you so your initial idea was general connection as yeah. opposed to women focused connection absolutely uh and then what i realized was um you know, a few things. So I enrolled into a venture accelerator program uh, out of Vancouver, actually. It was a distance program. Uh, they took me in. They just loved my energy and passion. Um, and I knew that, you know, doing this research, there's so many platforms out there, you know, that offer, you know, friendship and, you know, networking and all that kind of stuff. And so what was it that I was offering? What was it that, you know, the problem or the, the pain point that all these other platforms couldn't solve? And so based on my experience, you know, I started to do like a like more extensive customer discovery, not just what I could find online, but in terms of like from my own perspective, okay, so there's, there's meetup, you know, there's, uh, there's Bumble, there is, for instance, even Havina, which I discovered after there is um, LinkedIn, there's Facebook, like, what is it that I want to build, that's going to solve not just my problem, but will address this big market need. And that's where, you know, I think that, that that program was really, really helpful. It was extremely valuable because they really ask you tough questions. Like, how are you going to make money? Like, how are you different from, say, like a Bumble? Or how are you different from, say, like a Havina? And it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, like now you need to really dig deep. And that's, I think, a really good time for founders to really look at, can you, you know, navigate this market? with a unique solution, having a unique value prop. Um, because again, so many sacrifices are being made. Like, are you just doing it 
for fun? Are you doing it as a hobby? Or are you really building a business? If you are building a business, that's different than, you know, and, and when you're building a business, you really need to look at your competitive advantage. Um, you need so to what did you that. find then? Uh, so then what I found. Other ones, what, what is locales place in the market? So the one thing that really stood out, which is also why like just doing something for women, but also addressing a big problem of social isolation amongst professional women. What I found was uh, Locale is the only platform as of right now that offers uh, women in business who work in specially male-dominated industries to easily connect with women um, who are in similar life stages, but also, you know, um, work at, say, like, a, you could be working at a Microsoft um, as a project manager, and you might want to connect with somebody, you know, a, micro, a project manager at SAP. So nobody's doing that. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to connect these women who either are entrepreneurs in business or who are working professionals in, you know, like good jobs. And they want to connect with these women because that was a market that it's still kind of a little untapped. Um, and... And by doing that, I'm, you know, we're solving this problem of social isolation as well, as well as creating a good culture for even companies. Because companies right now, they spend billions of dollars. Like in U.S., tech companies alone spend $16 billion in diversity inclusion initiatives. And they, that money goes towards retaining, not just attracting, but retaining top female talent, as well as people of color. I know being this poster child, <laughs> you know, uh, that... There's a big problem, like 56% of the women quit their jobs mid-careers working in the STEM field, primarily tech, because they feel isolated, lonely, and frustrated. Mm. So doing all this customer research gave me this kind of unique value prop. And so over time, locale could have been for anyone. Then locale became just for women, and it could be for any women. Then it became for women who are professionals. And then I saw entrepreneurs were like, wow, like a lot of, we have a lot of female founders on the platform. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, okay, so what's going on here? So then further digging into who you have, you know, what messaging is resonating. So you're constantly doing user research, whether it's with your messaging, whether, you know, it's figuring out, you may think it's for moms, you know, but at the end of the day, like are moms really using it? There are other platforms for moms. There's peanut, there's mom, social mom. Like there's, there's so much out there for me. It was also like, who's going to pay me? Am I doing ad support model? If I were to do ad support model, like sure, locale could be, then the primary goal is to have as many users as, as many, possible, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. So then, but I didn't want to do ad support model. So how am I going to make money? So again, so these professional women right now, it's also very topical, the security, the privacy, like all of this is so topical hmm. that again, the trends in the market, like that's another user research, right? Like you need to see how you're going to make money and users are like, we'd rather pay for this, right? Like, we'd rather pay for this than to sell our data. Because if you are not paying for a product, then you are the product. And we know that. So, <laughs> um, and so that was the thing, right? So that's also started to stand out. Like, these professional women, they, they can't afford what, you know, the, the pricing will start at $3 per user per month and can go up to $10. Um, but, but starting at $3, like $3, like a cup of coffee. But that's enough for locale to make enough money. Like we have a million users, everybody's paying minimum three bucks, we're fine. You know, so, so I started to look at different revenue models and that just, again, women were like, we'd rather pay for this and we'll learn, right? Like we'll learn. 
in summer? Like, are they actually paying? What are they paying for? Are they saying and they're paying so, or will they actually pay? Exactly. Yeah. And so I started to see, but, but the good part was, again, another part of uh, user research was who can pay? Who would be more, more willing to pay? It wouldn't be the moms who stay at home. Like, they'd rather, they don't care. Like, sure, they can see ads, you know? So I also did discovery from them. Some were like, you know what? We don't care. We want to see ads. Like, we want to see what we can buy. And whereas the women who work at these big tech companies, they were like, I don't want my data to be compromised. I'm happy to pay, you know, so because there's Facebook right. for that. So, right. so that's when I was like, okay, so there's a few things happening here. There's also this, um, you know, who's going to pay or who, who is likely to pay. Um, of course, then we need to build the sticky you know, experience for that. But um, that also helped us narrow down the market. And it's and, and then we have a unique value prop through that. Um, and so and then over time, I mean, we've grown organically so far, primarily. Um, I do, you know, some social media posts here and there, but it's just me. Yeah. And uh, I can only go so far. Target, right? Yeah, exactly. So no paid nothing. And uh, we've been able to grow organically um, just through these women. So and right now it's a it's a good MVP. We you know we're making it better uh, every week. But it's a good MVP, but the fact that these women, they're mostly, like 95% of the women work in tech uh, companies. This was like, wow, like this is some, we've got something here. So as we move forward, we're constantly finding out about users, you know, where they're coming from, um, what their behavior is, you know, what their persona is. So, um, and the persona is huge because as a startup, you cannot be for everyone. You cannot cater to everyone. Also because we want to make good matches. I was like, okay, we need to just focus on women working in STEM fields, primarily tech, because not only are they using it, for us to have good matches for them, we need to have more women who, who work in these tech companies. Mm -hmm. So you have more in common than just coffee, walk, you know, all this kind of stuff. It could be data science, it could be uh, marketing, it could be SaaS, you know. So, so that's what we're kind of, you know, constantly we're, you know, making it better and just getting more focused every build. Um, yeah. Let me. So this is a really good process you've laid out, laid out. Let me just recap it for our listeners. You know, I was taking a lot of notes and, and essentially here's what I mapped out when you think about conducting worthwhile user research. So obviously it starts with the idea, hey, I can serve, I can do something. I recognize an issue going on in my life or something happening to people. Uh, let me fix that in some way. Once you, so you have the idea. After that, step one, is identifying first problem market fit, which includes assessing is the market big enough, as well as really learning what is the true problem you are solving, which means you must talk to the people as part of this process. Um, ideally, you want to be in a situation where the people you need to talk to, you, have, you already have access to in some way. You mentioned you went to your friends first who were in a specific field, right? Um, the key thing, I mean, you, you didn't really say it explicitly, but I gleaned it from the way you talked about the questions you were asking, is you're asking questions to learn, not to validate a hypothesis you've already come up with, right? You have to be in scientist mode for this because a scientist, when they do an experiment, they write a hypothesis and their goal is not to prove that right. It is to either accept or, or reject the hypothesis because science wins out in the end, not emotion. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. 
So asking questions truly from a place where you're trying to understand their situation, not try to project a solution you've already come up with onto them, because that is how you learn that this was more skewed towards a women-focused problem than an everyone problem. And your initial idea that you had tweaked and you pivoted. Um, I think the, and part of this too, you set up the landing page where you got a lot of interest, which helped lead to that conclusion that this is a more of a women focused problem. Um, So that type of research there is what led to that pivot. I would, I would lump that figuring out the problem market fit as step one. From there, the next step is product market fit, which involves a few different pieces to it. But the first part of, of product market fit is finding your unique place within these, the realm, within the product marketplace, I should say, within the other things that are out there. So you actually went in and you used these other platforms, Bumble, LinkedIn, you are already using them naturally, right? But then you actually started mm. to look into them a little bit more. And what your goal is, is to find what is missing, right? Mm-hmm. What, are they, what are they not addressing either at all or not well enough that people still have a need for something else? Um, and that's really where you found the true idea of social isolation. That's where you found your ideal user, I think, which is addressing social isolation for professional women in male dominated industries, primarily the tech field. So for everyone listening right now, before I go into the rest, just think about how much easier your life is. Obviously it's still hard, but think about how much more informed you are when you can say that our ideal user are professional women in male-dominated industries, primarily tech, who are experiencing social isolation. Think about that compared to our target market is professional women. It's completely different messaging you can develop from there, completely different product you develop and you know, pathway that you take. So the next thing after that is, okay, well, what are the trends going on? Which is where you found, hey, there's a company problem too with company culture and losing women once they hit a certain point in their career. Um, I also think something that happened for you here, which I don't even know if, I mean, you didn't, you didn't outright say this. I don't know if you necessarily realize it either, but another trend is that you, you don't have to create like this is not nine years ago when Tinder has not even come out yet. And the idea of connecting online is still very new, right? In your case, people already understand that type of behavior and they're already make, they've already made that behavior change. What they need is the behavior they're already doing, but for the problem that suits them. Yeah. Right. So that makes it a little bit easier that the trend is already headed in that direction, that you're not having to convince them that something even exists, that they should do something totally new they've never done before. Um, I also liked what you said about if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. I've never thought about that before. I am Facebook's product. No, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and ultimately, what you will find in this process is that the mark, if you do this well enough, the market will lead you toward what they want and what you should build. Yeah, I just want to say uh, on that too, like a lot of times, you know, and I, I, I'm guilty of this, you know, there were times initially in my venture where I felt 
but this is what I want to do. But this is this was my idea. And then the reality is you need to fail fast. You need to learn. Okay, you know what? Sure, this is what I thought. And sometimes as founders, we're so passionate, we don't even want to listen. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest reasons startups fail because you're building something for yourself and you're not building it for the entire, you know, the market. And I, it was interesting because I was like, well, my mom friends could use it, you know? Right. And it was interesting because that's also like you have to ask those tough questions from your users. I actually did various research methods. And this is where my communications background helped. You do surveys. So I, we did survey. We did online survey. And these were very open-ended questions. We didn't, I wasn't looking to, because users will tell you what you want to hear. That's why a lot of polls are, right. you know, skewed. So they will tell you what you want to hear. And I had to be honest to myself through my time. And be like, okay, open-ended question. Some I, you know, and I realized like some of the friends who I thought would be perfect candidate for locale, they were not interested in locale. Mm. And so just even learning that was interesting for me. And and it's good to do that early on. Um, and so open-ended questions are great. So so doing survey, I actually let just leave the building, just go, go talk to real people. Um, so just, you know, colds, you know, emails, just talking to people on the streets. Yeah. I, you know, I had to do it. If I, if I can't do this then I'm not getting all the right data, of course, online research, also getting on each of these platforms, reading the reviews, you know, that other users leave, like what's the problem. It's a, for instance, like a, um, like a Hey Vina. What is it that, cause if, if yeah. they have millions of users, like what is it that Hey Vina is not solving? Right. And so just learning more about that. And what the users are complaining about uh, consistently, mm-hmm. not one person, not two people, majority of them. Yeah. And what happened with Vero, actually, is it Vero, Vero, the social platform? They, it, within like a few, it was last year, like it was a hot topic. Like I think this one week where Vero was like viral because they, I mean, it, it, it comes from a billionaire. So a billionaire founded the company. So it was to basically be Instagram's competition. Mm-hmm. And within like a week or like a whatever a t- short amount of time frame, they grew like like over three million users because it was just like okay, the first million users are going to be like it's going to be free forever for the first million users. The rest of them will have to pay. It will be a paid platform. And what they did, it was interesting because that's what, we were still building our platform, and I was like, "Wow, like another one to the matrix, you know, the competitive <laughs> matrix." But it was interesting because Vero did something really not good, and it was they put out this messaging. They actually got over like millions of users. Their system crashed, mm. so they were not prepared, prepared yeah. to sustain that user base. And so for me, it was important. We're not doing like paid ads. We're not doing all that stuff because. Sure, even if we do get these users, can our beta sustain this user base? Yeah. So it was a good user research, right? Like learning curve. So Vera's, I don't even know where Vera's at. Nobody know, like nobody's talking about Vera anymore. Yep. Can you before we wrap up, uh, are there any specific tools you recommend for conducting user research? Well, Google Docs, uh, Google, I mean, Google survey, Google has been amazing. Um, oh, so the actual that, survey. Yeah, the actual have. survey uh, yeah. within the Googles. Uh, I, I guess. think it's Google Forms that they call it. Google Forms, yes. Google yep. Forms are, have been amazing. Um, I also uh, use MailChimp. I mean, these are standard ones, you know, as a startup, yeah. like I'm used to these ones. So I just, you know, MailChimp was good for, um, it's also free. 
for to a certain extent. And then uh, a lot of times, like I would just send like a monthly newsletter. Now they're getting more like weekly. Um, and also in terms of like what types of users are leaving your newsletter. They're no longer interested because in it, because we've evolved, right? Like so much has happened. Um, and now we're, you know, so, so just even learning through those analytics is important. Um, you know, who, you know, where are you getting traction from? What type of users are leaving your uh, newsletter? What's the reason for leaving? Uh, so that's great. And then also um, through our app, we do uh, analytics you know, through the app, uh, which I'm now like so obsessed about uh, the metrics there. Um, and then also the website, right? So Google Analytics, um, you know, um, are we getting more user base? Like where are they coming from? So the source of the, you know, that and um, are there any websites that are referring us? So just even learning, like constantly learning. It's a lot of data that we sure. have now. So just standard platforms. Okay. One more I can add to that mix, um, which is something that a company on the Startup Hype Man roster did that was very effective was a site called userinterviews.com, hmm. which is basically you just offer a $20 Starbucks gift card and you say, this is exactly the type of person I'm looking to talk to. Hmm. They blast that message out to their database and those people who respond, and you can even accept or deny them once they say, I'm, I'm this person based on another questionnaire you put out. And then you get 25 minutes, 30 minutes on the phone with them. And it is great to learn. And if you're right. ready to sell your product, we've even been able to basically naturally walk it towards the thing to sell where, they, where they're asking how they buy it instead of mm. you sell it. So it's very, it's, it can be very effective when used tactfully. Yeah, that's awesome. There's also pre-apps. But the one thing that I would do um, differently uh, we launched our beta, and the pre-apps is basically only for uh, pre-launch companies. Mm. So if we hadn't launched our beta, you can actually get on that platform, and there's like so many users that will tell you how they feel about your product uh, even before it's launched. And that's how they kind of create hype, right? Because it's like, yeah. oh, this product hasn't launched yet. So, um, so that's the one thing that I would do differently. There's also um, product hunt. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm exploring like maybe we'll do a bit of a soft launch online uh, product hunt on International Women's Day coming up. Cool. So we'll see how that goes. But there's there's so many different avenues of even just seeing like are you getting any upvotes on product hunt? Sure, sure. Yeah. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know um, where they can find you, where they can find Locale, and perhaps get in touch? Yeah, so Locale, uh, you go to the website, L-O-C-E-L-L-E dot com. Um, we are in both app stores. Uh, our primary, I mean, primarily our user base is in Victoria, Vancouver, a little bit in Seattle, and some in the Bay Area, uh, but mostly in, of course, Canada. Um, if you want to find me, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, um, as well as Twitter. It's um, at Chimera with a three A, so it's H U M A I R A A A. Um, yeah, and uh, Instagram locale app, uh, Facebook locale app, LinkedIn locale app. It's all just uh, pretty uh, locale sure. app. Yeah. Awesome. To wrap up, we will end how we end every episode, which is our final answer slash takeaway to the topic question for today. I will kick it off, and then I'll throw it to you. Uh, our topic today was how do you conduct worthwhile user research. Well, amongst everything that we discussed, I think my biggest learning or my biggest piece of advice here is understand there is a difference between problem market fit and product market fit and start with problem market fit. Humera, 
How do you conduct worthwhile user research, top line takeaway, or piece of advice? Oh, wow. <laughs> more. You want more. <laughs> um, I would just say, just, you know, leave leave your house, leave your workplace as soon as possible. Mm. Go talk to real people. Do all the, you know, I mean, this would be a primary uh, user research, you know, methods to talking to real people, even people that you think may not want your product. Um, because you'll learn so much. And that's the biggest thing I have learned, even as we can, you know, continuously um, evolve and progress. Um, I'm learning so much every day. You know, we had a turn and I was like, why are you leaving? You know, just tell me more. Like, what did you think the product did? And what, you know, what, what did it actually do? So constantly talk to real users. That's the benefit of being a startup because you have actual, this is a, the gold mine, right? Like we have real people and we have access to these real people. So make the most of it. Take advantage. Ask these people and make sure you're not going by what exactly they're telling you, but how they're behaving, how they're actually using the platform. Mm. Because again, people will tell you what you want to hear. You will find online what you want to see. Sure. So, so yeah, so that would be my biggest kind of comment on, on this topic. From Karachi to Canada, Humaira Ahmed, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That brings us to a close. Did you like what you heard? Did it tingle your earbuds? Support your startup ecosystem and share this episode with another founder to help them. If you don't have anyone in mind, then leave a rating and review of the show on iTunes so more entrepreneurs can learn about it. And if you want more, head to startuphypeman.com and click on the knowledge section to get a bonus blog post written by this week's guest where they unpack the topic even more. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Startup Hype Man is more than a podcast. In fact, we support startups across the United States and globally, develop sales and marketing acumen with messaging that stands out to customers and stands apart from competitors. Learn more and fill out a form at StartupHypeMan.com if you want to chat. Shout out to this week's guests for spending their time with us and shout out to music artist Sir the Baptist for providing our show's theme song. Catch you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown, too. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Tell me what you're gonna do. This is dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get it loose, then they fall into the truth. It got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown, with the devil.